0: SDI membership is about being part of a global contemplative movement that contributes to peace, justice and living in right relationship with all living beings. The SDI Learning Community is a group of compassionate listeners who are committed to serving others on their spiritual journeys. Everyone is welcome to become a member of SDI, which also supports our work to advocate for the healing contemplative modalities of spiritual direction and companionship. Become a new member or renew your membership on SDI's secure online store at sdicompanions.org. Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast on spiritual direction and spiritual companionship. I'm Matt Whitney. Thank you for listening. Learn more about our work and the work of spiritual direction and spiritual companionship on our website sdicompanions.org recently sdi executive director reverend Singh Malares, and myself had a wide-ranging conversation about spiritual direction and companionship and in particular reconsidering some of the elements that we might consider to be universal are there common elements to the work of spiritual companionship that we can identify For example, we often cite deep listening as a common practice. But what do we mean when we say that? We also consider and reconsider the generation of spiritual heat, how spiritual companionship has elements of contemplative practice, opening to new depths of awareness, and how to befriend the overwhelm that can come when we gain insight into the depths of our existence. We have posted this conversation as a five-part video series on our YouTube channel, but here you can listen to the conversation in its entirety. We hope you enjoy it and reconsider for yourself some of the building blocks of your own practice as a spiritual companion. All right. All right. So what are we talking about today? We're talking about, I have meditation questions for you. But you came to me because you wanted to talk about I I forget, reconsidering, reconsidering
1: spiritual direction.
0: You wanted to talk spiritual about reconsidering spiritual direction and companionship. So what do you mean by that? I don't remember. <laughs>
1: uh, um, well, what I mean by that in the broadest sense is that A modality that deals with the great beyond is open to constant reconsideration, because there's so many different portals and so many different entry points and exit points in and out of this modality. And that makes it very rich. And it's also, I think, quite important that we not um, settle into predictable patterns, as in you know, we try to define what spiritual direction and spiritual companionship is, which is a worthy exercise. But if we're not careful, we're going, only spiritual directors and spiritual companions who do one, two, three, four, and five are worthy of the name. And that's not true. And yet there are authentic common elements to our practice to the practice of our calling that need to remain. But they're not as fixed as we sometimes think they are. So I think that's where I was going with reconsidering spiritual direction and spiritual companionship. And and I would say on an ongoing basis and probably on an unending
0: basis. Okay, so just to frame it, I think the typical way we think about spiritual companionship, and you can correct me all along here, one-on-one relationship. The the listening companion is there to and this is a term that is a little bit fraught but holding space. Yes. Holding space for, for somebody to to share their deepest self. Yes. Uh, and for most of our members that is a, a vocational calling. Mm-hmm. They may operate an office or you know see clients over Zoom. So I mean we've we've talked and we presented people who who have different alternative modalities for doing that, but is that what you're getting at, that there are just other... Yes,
1: yes, yes, and, uh, to to paraphrase someone close to me, and the end is, you know, you mentioned listening, right? We always talk about deep listening being, you know, a foundational pillar of this practice, and I'd say it's more than just a vocation, it's a spiritual advocation, it's a spiritual calling, right? so I started thinking about that, you know, um, a couple of months back. Is it just deep listening? And then I started thinking about and I started writing about this for an upcoming version of one of our publications, the difference between listening and healing, right? Are we just listening in kind of a passive way? And, and of course, we, we always qualify deep listening by saying it's active listening, right? But are we really hearing what the other person is saying? Uh And there's a difference between listening and hearing, right? Yes. You can listen and not understand. You can listen and in a kind of peremptory way, whereas hearing doesn't necessarily mean agreement, but it means that I really hear what you're saying to me. And I think in a spiritual companionship, spiritual direction relationship, that deeper hearing is really what we're going for. But of okay. course, it's time to listen.
0: So this is fascinating because, I mean, I'm thinking back to high school French, right? Like the term écouter means to listen. The term entendre means to hear. To understand. Or, okay, so that's interesting because I always thought of listening as the, the understanding part, the comprehension, whereas the hearing is more of a, the, the, the ears are picking up sound. Yeah. And, you
1: know, I mean, this is, these are the issues of language. It depends where you're coming from, right? I mean, for me, it's, it's kind of, are you hearing me? Yeah. Are you hearing me means, are you under to me means, are you understand, are you really understanding what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Can you really get inside, you know, can you develop enough intimacy with me that you really hear what I'm saying to you Mm -hmm. as opposed to just. Listening and witnessing, which is also so important, I and mean, they are inseparably tied to respecting agency, which is the other thing you just mentioned. And yet, if there's if we have an intimate relationship, we have agency together, right? I mean, your agency changes, my agency changes yours, and yours changes mine, right? The 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 um, Interaction between us becomes its own dynamic, mm-hmm. a common dynamic. It doesn't mean that I don't respect your the primacy of your of supporting you in this relationship as your companion, um, because I think that's not that's not in question. But there's it's kind of like a chemical or alchemical formula. There's just the this blending of elements. Well, so, so I guess what I'm suggesting is there's more. Subtlety and complexity in these relationships, spiritual companion relationships, then we sometimes want to let on.
0: So what I hear too is I hear as I as I'm comprehending. Listening? <laughs> am I listening or am I comprehending? Yeah. Like I think of listening, I guess as as having a a comprehension component to it, yes, which sorry. is. Yeah and maybe this is where you're coming from it's like my thinking mind is engaged with what I am hearing right and when I hear you say are you hearing me like there is there's something deeper there yes right and it's it's sort of a it's almost like a and this is going to get to my meditation question which is the letting go of the thinking mind yes and allowing a more fuller Hearing activity to be engaged. Is is that does that sound like Yeah, that
1: sounds right. I mean I think I think listening leads to hearing, leads to understanding, leads to intimacy, and leads to communion. And I think the relationship between companion and companioned is one of deep intimacy, of shared listening, of shared discernment, because we're both listening to something bigger, however you know, you might define it, I might define it, we both recognize that it's something deeper that we're listening to. And I would also say that the best relationships of this type that I've encountered, both in my role as companion and companioned, are ones where mm, ourselves are lost, right? Where, Where we start to channel something bigger than us, that that kind of flows through us like we're instruments and the, 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 the life force or God or the universe starts to flow through us freely, right? And that and vice versa, because it, it's very much a symbiotic relationship. It's a two way relationship as well.
0: Yeah. yeah, there is an alchemical magic there that I think a lot of our uh, members and can, can, uh, can recall that I can recall. Yeah. You know, where suddenly some insight is gained in in that session, in that modality and you know, I might offer something that came from not for me, yeah. you know yep. Yep. and exactly. it, and it touches on something very deep and it goes beyond just the am I offering something of value to you? It's like there's something else here that might be coming through my mouth and my vocal cords, but is. Beyond what I could have thought of in that moment.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I'm what I'm referring to. And I think that leads directly to your to the contemplation meditation conversation, which is is there are there ways to funnel to to become better funnels of that energy? Because that energy, however you might whatever label you want to put on it, God, the universe, the beyond you know, uh, Tao um, is really what we're inviting in each other. And and the striving and the longing and the searching and the discerning um, of the people that we companion is centered around that energy. So of course, you want to do whatever you can to facilitate that energy coming in. And our intellects is certainly one way, particularly for those of us in the West who are used to modalities of discernment that are centered around intellectual disquisition, right? Around intellectual analysis. Talk therapy. And is spiritual companionship, spiritual direction, talk therapy? It has an element of it, but I would say it's probably a minor element, not a major element. And the major element is are we able to create spiritual heat between us right am I able as your companion if you've picked me am I able to um, help you heat up your discernment um, of so that you can figure out the the questions and you already you know the questions and you already know the answers so that the answers can become loud enough that you can have confidence and uh, rely on them for yourself that Oh yes, I have. I had questions. I had great doubt, and now I have great faith and great resolve. Even if that great faith and great resolve is um, increasingly enters the field of the unknown.
0: Yeah, and there's almost uh, there's something present in the moment too of of that relationship that is humming. You know, I mean, when you talk about that spiritual heat, it's like there's a burner turned on. Right? It's like an energy.
1: Well, you can feel it. Yeah. You can feel it. We can yeah. feel it right now. And and I think that's that's the, the beauty of this modality is, is um both parties when it's happening, you know, it's it's one of those there it is moments. It's like you can feel it. You can feel it. Something is moving and stirring, something much deeper is moving and stirring. And when that movement stirs, it changes everything, right? I mean, you walk out the door with it. It lingers with you. It enters your dreams. It enters your consciousness. It starts to pervade everything, right? So that call gets loud. And I hear, hear this from a lot of people at Companion. The call that they're hearing, that little voice just starts to get really, really loud and insistent in fact, obnoxious in a way, like, you know, I will not be denied. Yeah, This call can no longer be denied. And that uncomfortable place is what we're going for.
0: So I want to, you you started to speak to this, but the, like, how do we do it? Like, what are some practical ways that we can invite this kind of hearing that you're inviting us to?
1: Yeah, and, and, you know, I'll give you a very Taoist response, even though I think this is shared by all of the mystical traditions, at least in my discernment, is that we invite it by disinviting it, right? And, and what I mean by that is not... Um, it's basically by, you know, we often talk about background-foreground, right? That some, some Somehow the spiritual direction exercise, if it can be called that, is moving things that are in the background to the foreground of our awareness and moving things that are in the foreground of our awareness to the background and usually what's in the foreground are i need to get to work on time i need to make my payments i need to take care of my children i need to make sure i you know tend to my partner whatever the responsibilities of our daily lives are and the stuff in the background is that little voice saying You know, deeper meaning, I'm here, knock, knock, knock. And uh, when are you gonna pay attention to me? When are you gonna pay attention to me? And so we're kind of shifting and inverting, uh, inverting that. What can we do to bring it in? We need some kind of disruptor. And the disruptive mechanism is not, you know, taking a hammer to a rock to try to demolish some obstacle in our path. It's actually learning to flow like water, which is why I use the Taoist analysis. It's, not, it's, it's nothing more than, than opening ourselves up to a broader field of vision, opening ourselves up to flowing around rocks, to, to just getting in the groove of things, spiritual groove of things, so that things can be revealed to us that are always in our field we just can't see them we just can't feel them because we actually let our intellect get in the way. Yeah.
0: Okay, so along these lines, I often we often talk about the spiritual companionship modality as a contemplative experience, a contemplative engagement. I'm starting to see it more as an actual contemplative practice. And I think that it mirrors meditation in a lot of ways. I agree. And, and so, because when I am sitting with somebody, I am trying to sort of flow like water, like you say. But I am noticing, you know, the little chit, chit-chat my mind starts coming in. Yeah. And I'm like, no, this, it's not time for thinking mind. It's time for really hearing this person. And so you set that aside, you flow around that thought, and you come back to present with that person. And that's, that's the practice of meditation as well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we are, some of us in meditation are working on taming the thinking mind and mm-hmm. kind of giving it a rest and engaging our other senses, our other ways of knowing. Yeah. Um, does that resonate with you? I mean, you yes. just said, yeah, it sounds, sounds the same.
1: No, no, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think what we are trying to do is get out of our own way, right?
0: Yeah. And
1: that requires um, humility and vulnerability. And, uh, you know, I, I think it was Lucy Abutaku who said, a lot of spiritual directors and spiritual companions want to come across as wise and we need to resist the temptation. Um, and I'm I'm not I don't totally agree with that. Nor do I totally disagree with that. I think we need to to make sure that that was flowing through us is not us. That yeah. was flowing through us is something deeper than us. And you know that it's the communal life force. That it's that it's that we're really making room for the divine to manifest, for the beyond to manifest, um, in harmony between both of us. And I think that getting out of the way is facilitated with modalities that really crack us open, right? I mean, we, we operate with blinders, we operate with a, a reduced field of vision because we're, we're encouraged to, you know, since, we're, since we start going to grade school, it's like, focus, 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 focus. Don't get distracted, right? Yeah. Put that out of your mind, put that out of your mind. And really, in the West in particular, they're saying, use your brain, use your intellect, use that only, Mm -hmm. right? Use that and hone it, and hone it until it's like a a penetrating microscope that can just zoom in on anything at very close resolution. And that's certainly a valuable way to see the world, but, you know, what happens when you hone in on something very, very precisely? You know, what happens to to the rest of everything? Yeah. You lose that, right? So it's not losing the forest forest for the trees. It's, It's really kind of pulling back so that you can have that broader vision. And I think that's what meditation or other contemplative practices that might be differently named helps us do, is to pull back from our thinking mind enough so that we don't treat it as the only instrument in our toolbox, to actually gain an apprehension of the world, right? I mean, you like to hike, you like to mountaineer. You know, when you're up on the top of a hill, you're experiencing. You're not thinking. I mean, maybe the thoughts come in and go, oh, how would I describe this to someone, right? But the experience precedes your attempt to put it in a box. Yeah. And that's what we're going for is, are you open like on the mountaintop? Are you open like when you're you know swimming or when you're sailing or when you're biking whatever whatever it is that you do contemplatively are you that open to the experience not to the description of the experience but to the experience itself and i think that's what we're going for that kind of openness to and humility and the humility is is also that's why we always talk about unknowing and unlearning right the cloud of unknowing is you know, stop. Stop with this. Just just be, just flow. Yeah. Just be open.
0: I often think of, you know, that mount, being on the mountaintop and being like, wow, this is really beautiful. And the thinking mind is like, I think of it again as like a sad, whiny child that's like, Pay I need to pay attention to this. Like, involve me in this. I let's make some meaning here. Like, what does this mean? You know? Yeah, Let's be here.
1: Yes, yeah, making meaning. You know, you know. It's it, it's the saddest thing. I mean, it's not it's sad. It's an observation, right? I mean, were I was at a wedding recently, and this this happens less because the wedding happened in India, so it wasn't happening as much. But just think about all of those. Like you go to a concert, right? Your favorite star, and if they happen to let you use your smartphone to film, which lots of acts do these days, you see rows and rows of people with their smartphones looking at their smartphones, capturing the experience, rather than putting down the smartphones and having the experience. That's what we're talking about. In this case, the smartphone is like your intellect, but you can see that what it's doing is actually reducing your field of vision and putting an obstacle between you and the experience itself. So that's what we're going talking about with contemplation and meditation is put down the metaphorical smartphone. Put down your intellect. Mm-hmm. Now don't abandon it, don't deny it. I'm not asking you to abandon it or deny it. Just put it down so that you can have the experience. Because once you have that experience, all sorts of mm, channels are opened that will feed your soul in
0: unexpected ways. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of this. I used to teach photography to college students, and I used to teach them this study, the scientific study, of people in museums who would take pictures with the of the art with their phones, mm-hmm. and they were they would re- review after, and the people who were taking pictures with their phones were less likely to remember or have any kind of experience with the art than the people who didn't. Yeah. And I use that to challenge, you know, budding photographers who was like if. You say your work is all about capturing memories, but actually you might be hindering our ability to really have an experience of something by capturing it.
1: That, I think that's exactly right, particularly in the, in the realm of spirituality, because you anytime you put an obstacle, you're degrading the experience, right? Anytime you start talking about, trying to describe it, and, and I'm not saying that that's not a valuable exercise, um, but it, there's no substitute. I mean, would you rather be up on that top of that hill that you, you know, spent 50 hours getting up and with your smartphone looking at the view? Or would you rather experience it in its beauty and its majesty unfiltered? Yeah. For whatever it might move in you. Right. And what it might dislodge in you.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, there's also a categorizing that happens there. I guess that's the the sort of meaning part of it. It's like, how do I capture, categorize, and compartmentalize this thing that cannot be captured or compartmentalized? Yeah, it's a, it's
1: a form of colonialism, mm-hmm. really. It's 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 you know, I need this to. Be, it's like spiritual materialism. It's like, oh, I got, I had this experience. I need to be able to package it so that I can show other people, you know, so I can share it with other people. And really, what you're doing is imprisoning it and imprisoning yourself along with it. Right, rather than, and people can can feel the difference. I mean, it basically goes to authenticity, right? If you if you have this experience when you speak about it, people feel it. They have the experience too. Rather than, is this math class?
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: right. Nothing wrong with math. Yeah, another so beautiful way to <clears throat> to evaluate the universe, but it's not really what we're going for when we're talking about. You know, the endless universe, the endless beyond, that, uh, beyond without limits. Yeah.
0: So this is something I've been thinking about in regards to meditation. I want to run this by you. Practicing meditation, practicing noticing when the thinking mind is engaged in its chatter. And being compassionate about it instead of being frustrated, right? It's being you know, like, oh, I can't stop thinking. Being like, okay, notice that I'm thinking. Set it aside. Come back. Come back. Maybe it's just a word. Thinking. Right. Just whatever it is that is that, that little spy, that little, the observer, mm-hmm. right, that notices. Yeah. Sets that thinking aside. I, I can't separate the, the notion that that observer is also the thinking mind?
1: Um, that observer can be the thinking mind, and very often is, because we're trained for it to be the thinking mind, observing itself, reflecting on itself, analyzing itself, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's conditioning, right? So that's why we're kind of unconditioning ourselves. And just letting ourselves flow. I mean, you know, I, I often use the image of a child, a two or three year old child, experiencing snow for the first time. That's the kind of mind that we're going for. The child is not going, oh my gosh, what are the, what is this water? What, what is it? You know, they're just like, I don't know what this is, but it is amazing. It is just amazing. I don't know what it is, but it's so beautiful. And look how all these flakes fall, and what are they? And they touch my cheek, and they're all wet and cold, and, and I feel wonderful, and I don't know why. But they're not even thinking about why, right? They're just experiencing. That's the kind of mindset that we're going for. That's why in Zen we say beginner's mind. You want to go back to that level of undifferentiated experience, and I think that's the spirit, That's where our spiritual discernment comes from. Our true profound discernment is that kind of ability to feel without analysis, to just experience fully and purely. Hmm.
0: I'm thinking now, because my son and I went skiing and we were looking at snowflakes, Yeah, and you could see it, it was cold enough where they would land on your arm, and you could see the little crystal pattern form yeah. quite clearly. And we were marveling at it and mm-hmm. delighting it. Mm-hmm. you know. And then we're like, how does that happen? Well, there is a science to that. You can there. analyze that. You can observe sort of rationally and come up, you know, do the whole hypothesis thing and whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah. You're saying there is a place for that. Of course there is. Yeah. But even more than that, just the, the delight alone is is what is...
1: I, well, the delight or, or or whatever, you know, I mean, I think in, in, in spiritual training, in all the traditions, it's delight when it's delightful, and it's you know, horrible when it's horrible. But it's experiencing whatever comes your way fully, and without trying to sidestep it. And I'm not talking about um in, in I'm not talking about some kind of masochistic enterprise where you know you're like, oh my gosh, this really hurts. Let me it it's 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 basically acknowledging whatever comes our way experientially, and whether it's pleasing or uncomfortable, even painful, mm-hmm. right? Because the the glow of the beyond emanates regardless. Yeah. It's there regardless, right? And, and if we want to really achieve some level of spiritual maturity and discernment, I think, this is my opinion, um, I think that it's really about being fully present from an experiential standpoint.
0: Mm-hmm. And that includes our, the moment of our death. Well, right. So that's why I was going to go. With this is we can be present to those things that are joyful and delightful. But uh, I'm guessing on that same, in the same way, we are present to our griefs and our sorrows.
1: Yeah, we're not defined by either extremity, right? The, the you know the the pain and the suffering does not define us. I mean, we can get depressed. We can get sad. We can be cheerful, We can be heartbroken about it. That those are all human. But let's not settle there. Let's not colonize that space and say that defines who we are. And the opposite is also true. Beautiful, joyful, you know, sunny spring day, you're in love. You know, it's just one of those days that you remember forever, but you can't define yourself there either. Because if you start to define yourself in there, you're trapped also. So don't let, we shouldn't let ourselves be trapped.
0: Yeah, so how do we not become trapped? How do we not, how do we notice when we've colonized? Things
1: arise and fall away, things arise and fall away. I mean, that's the nature of the universe. Our life arises and it falls away. And neither of those, it's, it's not like our, our life arises, how wonderful, and then when it falls away, what a tragedy. They're both the same, really. They, they we flow in and we flow out. Um, things appear and they disappear. We appear and we disappear. And yet something deeper remains that animates and moves us all, right? And so I think that it's it's basically not, and it's not like we can do this anyway. It's not like we can just say, okay, I'm I'm capturing this moment and that's it. I'm never going to move beyond it. It's a good moment. I want to hold on to it forever. Well, there is no forever. Yeah. And there is no me that can hold on to anything for anything less than, you know, much, much shorter time than forever. And so things arise and they fall away and we keep going because what else can we do? It's not like we have any choice in the matter. So understanding that and living into that actually opens us up to the myriad universe, the myriad manifestations of the universe, good, bad, indifferent, however we want to label them, they're always there. But we live into that possibility. And that's when things start to flow in and out back to the spiritual companionship relationship. You know, that's when you start to experience having one conversation with dozens and dozens of people that you see in your life. And it's the same conversation because it's always the same conversation that you're having with your parents, your grandparents, your great grandparents, your children, your grandchildren, you know, horizontally, vertically, we're always occupying this one big, open, undefined, limitless, boundless space. And that sounds like a contradiction, but it's basically the acceptance of first the primacy of experience and second and secondly, that that experience is at least in our eyes unlimited.
0: And I think that is the, that's that energy again. That's that heat. And we know that we're, we're tapping into it. We're paying attention to it, we notice it, and when we speak to it, we know that what we're speaking to is that deeper wisdom that is just flowing through us. We're not well I'm not saying it, right mm-hmm. It is that heat, you know it's that same energy that's that's animating that space and also speaking through us in that moment
1: I, yeah, I mean there there is the the proof of it is this flow that you can feel, this energy that you can feel, right? I mean, the, the energy is always there, but we pretend that it's not. We, we pretend that instead of parking our intellects, we park our experiences, right? And that's totally upside down. Instead of looking at the band on stage, we look at our, the band through our phone. We look at our phones. That's also upside down. That, that's what I'm, you know, you can't, instead of parking your experience in favor of your intellect, you should park your intellect in favor of the experience. Um, it's probably closer to that kind of awareness that we're going for in a spiritual
0: uh, companion relationship. Yeah.
1: And in general and spiritually. Right. Well, in our, in our, in our meditation,
0: in our contemplative practice, we are, what did you say, was prioritizing experience over the intellect.
1: Or at least simultaneous, you know, if we can't prioritize experience immediately, at least we're making them co-equal partners. Yeah. And eventually, um, the experience is the beyond, it's the infinite. Our intellect is much more limited. Right. Well,
0: experience is always there, right? So you, you refer to it as pretending that it's not there. You know, I might say just distracted you know because I, I don't
1: have time to pay attention to that I'm too
0: busy and you know the task I'm too busy the
1: day. looking at my smartphone yeah that's, <laughs> yes I mean that's, that's what we see happening and before that it used to be you know also all sorts of mental distractions before they were I'm not just you know, picking on smartphones it's, right. it's easy to distract ourselves with all sorts of things that are not important. Because we don't want to face the possibility of something that is so big, so that like this universe that we live in, that it would totally overwhelm our senses if we actually lived into it. And our senses are designed to be overwhelmed. Hmm. And, you know, I mean, the training, the contemplative training is to let that soak in without, um, Drowning, learning how to swim in it, or actually maybe swim, or or I, I flow with it, mm-hmm. so that it doesn't, you know, it's not like the wave. It's like, you you know, the, the two ways to deal with the wave: you jump underneath it, or you jump on top of it. Yeah. But what you don't do is wait for it to come crashing down on you, mm-hmm. because then you'll drown more than likely. Yeah. Right. right. So it's that kind of. Mm, it's it's that kind of experience that we that we're going for is to be in the flow which means oh shoot there's an obstacle coming duck
0: mm-hmm.
1: or you know there's a rock coming at you move to the side you're not going to go through it you're not going to go through the rock it's going to go through you right and uh, so that that's our our intellect in some ways is like that rock coming at us really quickly and if we're not careful, we're going to crash into it, and it's going to destroy us. Hmm.
0: I mean, it, it it almost sounds paradoxical because of well, like,
1: course it is because we're using language to. Have to <laughs> well, right, it. but even like
0: our senses are there to experience this, but also like our senses would be overwhelmed by it, right? So it's almost like we have to shield them somewhat or at least like you were saying, be aware and cognizant enough to go around the rock as opposed to crashing into it.
1: Yeah, I think we I think we have to become friends with the overwhelm. In order to mitigate the overwhelm, we have to become friends with it. We have to become familiar with it. You know, it, it, it's like, again, you know, I like all these analogies. It's, it's like, um, you know, if, if you're jumping into a pool, right, and you're, you're using, you know, the board, the diving boards, right? When, when you're a kid, you go up to the five-meter board, and it takes you a while. If, if you start as a little kid to have the guts to jump off, and if you get the guts, then you move up to the ten-meter board, and then you move up to the fifteen and the twenty, and you know, and you do it little by little. You train yourself to face your fear until it's you're not even thinking about it anymore. It's just like, you know, a professional diver will go up to the 30-meter or whatever board and just jump off. And highly trained, has no fear, has all the tools necessary to deal with it. That's the kind of familiarity with the flow and the overwhelm. So the overwhelm disappears. Overwhelm is a a metaphor for our fear. Mm. So we conquer our fears. Conquer is the wrong word. We become one with our fear until it resolves into itself. We resolve into it.
0: So we are—we are both conditioning ourselves, and we are also opening ourselves more and more, so that that experience, which might seem too visceral, we are tuning ourselves more and more to being able to receive it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, you know, skiing is another good example. I said if you don't know how to ski and you launch yourself from a really steep hill, you have a crash, and you're going to hurt yourself. And if you get even a little bit of training, your chances of not dying in the process start to go down. Yeah. Right? Right. And if you get a lot more training, you can actually enjoy the ride down. You can actually, it can become the the most intense and beautiful thing in your life. But it's it's the same thing. You have to kind of learn how to flow with the universe. Learn Mm -hmm. how to flow without using the wrong tool, which is our intellect. You can't ski down a hill with your intellect. Yeah. You can ride a bike with your intellect. It doesn't matter if you've read a book about all the bike mechanics in the world. It's something you actually have to learn to do experientially. It's not something you can learn how to do thoughtfully.
0: Yeah. Well, you know we ski, and my, my son is interested in jumps now. to good. And, you know, so like, I wandered with him into the terrain park the other day, and I mean, You'll see people skiing where they do these jumps and they're amazing, right? But I'm in the air for like half a second and it's like utter terror. Yes. <laughs> like I'm not because you don't know what's going to happen. When I you don't know land. what's going to happen. It's <laughs> just this moment of like I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to land. I don't know if I'm going to die. I don't know anything right now. I'm totally groundlessness. Yes. It's just for a split second and then boom, you hit and you're like, okay, I think I have control. Yes. And I think it's like that.
1: And it is. I think that's a. I think that's a good analogy, and you know, it's kind of, we've also used this analogy before, it's like jumping into the abyss, right? Having, making the leap of faith, this is the analogy of the leap of faith, right? It's just like, you don't know where you're going to land, but are you truly a faithful person? Do you believe that something bigger is out there? When you take the leap of faith, you do. You basically are saying, "I surrender. Yeah. I surrender to something bigger than, than my understanding of it."
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, a lot of trust that happens there.
1: Yeah, and and uh, you know, I'm not. It's I'm not a uh, I'm not advocating blind faith, right? Sure. Although at some point. There's room for that too. I'm I'm saying, okay, you've used your brain, you've analyzed, you know, all of the pros and cons, you've, you know, talked to a bunch of people about it, and now is this something you want to do? And at that point, you have to lay down all of that understanding and learn how to do it. And that's an experiential. It, it, like riding a bike or, or or skiing down a hill or jumping off that springboard at thirty meters. Time, sure, right? It's something you you then you have to to train yourself in a different way, in an experiential way. Yeah, and then with spirituality, that's absolutely, you know, this, and, and of course it leads to to what we were talking about earlier, both the. Um, the pits of despair and loss and heartbreak and longing and the ecstasies of, you know, pinnacle experiences. Yeah, you know, those, those beautiful moments. And, and sometimes you you go really quickly from one to the other, and back. And you can't let that phase you. You can't let that phase you. You have, you have to go, okay, oh, I'm here. All right, fine. I keep going. Oh, now I'm now on this other side. Okay, fine. I keep going, right? And, and navigating through that makes um, is the spiritual journey.
0: So there's the there's these. We've been talking about kind of the. I don't want to say the extremes, but the highs and lows, right? Yeah. The, the the excitement of the experience, the joy of the experience, the the sorrow of the experience. But what about just the the flat space of the experience. Yeah. You could call it boredom. You could call yeah, it- you could call it boredom. Uh, just the ordinary,
1: right? Ordinary mind is the owl. <laughs> Ordinary mind is the owl. And that's, I mean, I think that's what happens when you experience that, that um, the beyond is you kind of bring that and integrate it into your daily. And so now, you know, I just came back from India and I used to go to describe what happens on the streets of India as controlled chaos, right? There's just this mass of rickshaws and cars and people and, you know, it's it's all a big jumble. The lights aren't being respected. There's, you know, and... I just came back two weeks ago, and I would describe it now as the most precise, tightly tight choreography I have ever seen, which is a very different way of looking at it and experiencing it. It's like people aren't hitting each other. They're just, you know, get out of the way at like right at the last second, boom. They get up close to that car, like within... Centimeters, inches, right, and either they and or the car move out of the way just at the right time. It happens again and again. You could have a ten-minute ride and you see it happen a hundred times. And is that chaos? No, that's that's like precise engineering. Mm-hmm. That's the the choreography of God or the choreography of the spirit. You know, that's being in the flow. Yeah, and. So you can see things, it's, it's that kind of precise choreography that we're going for on the one hand, and also it's a precise choreography of the unknown. Because you don't exactly know where it's going to lead, you just trust that it's going to lead in the right direction. As long as you are in your lane, whatever your lane is, as long as you are in your lane, you know? It's it and you are going to get out of each other's way and then you're going to flow with each other in just the right way at the right time. If you're out of whack and out of balance, watch out.
0: Something in me wants to call that a like, no, not even a plan, but uh, an order.
1: Well, it's is. an underlying order, it's the theological argument, right? I know. It's, it's the engineering argument for yeah, the proof of God. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and it is true and valid, as, as is, you know, is the ultimate uh, great big abyss. Are we navigating solo on a journey through, you know, and, and never expanding? I mean, we're talking about trillions of suns, yeah, right? right. And solar systems, trillions. I can't even begin to imagine what that looks like from a number standpoint. It's so far beyond me, but I can experience it. I like can experience I'm experiencing it right this minute. What it means to be in the midst of trillions of suns and solar systems and an ever expanding universe. And that is a that's the difference, I think. That's the difference in perspective. It is a difference in perspective. I mean even you just naming
0: it that you're experiencing it. It's nothing special. No, it's nothing I special. Mean, it's, it's, that's the
1: daily that's the answer to your daily life. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Question. How can it be boring?
1: Could be boring if that's how you label it, but is it really boring in and of itself?
0: Well, I mean, when you say you're experiencing it, I mean, what I hear is we're all experiencing it. Yes, of course. It's all happening to all of us. It's right not here.
1: reserved for the special. It's 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 a, it's a gift and curse. It's it's um, an experience that we all share. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. SDI is the home of spiritual companionship. Learn more about us and our work on our website, sdicompanions.org.